Choose life. Choose a sport. Choose a drop zone. Choose a start time. Choose a fucking big jump plane. Choose turbine engines, speed, unlimited altitude, and endless horizons. Choose height, no low turns, and travel insurance. Choose jump tickets. Choose tiny action cameras. Choose your mates. Choose a rig and matching helmet. Choose swoop shorts and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose 120 vertical speed and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch, watching debriefs, spirit-saving slow-mos, smashing beers after last load. Choose standing on the podium at the end of it all. Choose a wing you'll love every time. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you fly NZ Aerosports? So, let's get past the obvious. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. Of course. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up pretty damn well with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there is a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with their bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it. Seriously, 10 jumps to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you'd prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, which is an awesome wing with great responsiveness and a wonderful flair for any intermediate pilot that's also the perfect choice for the beginning canopy pilot, keeping it mellow and learning. Or the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up a notch. It's a fully elliptical wing that'll start putting serious distance on those swoops. For those that are looking to really go the distance, well shit, that's when you start looking towards the JFX2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia with its range to be your day-to-day -day beast as well as go dirt water dirt across the pond, and of course, the Petra. With her high roll rate, long recovery arc, and high glide ratio, Petra cranks out crazy power in the turn, plane out, and flare. She is nothing short of a record breaker, and one that gets me to stop and watch every single time. But it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff, as you already know. But how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie's running the show with sales and sponsored athletes, with Beto sorting out all you dealers out there, and Jen holding the reins for the whole customer service department. They're always available at sales at nzaerosports.com, but they've even got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in, or to go with one of their stock canopies that are ready to ship. With the stock nylon, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For all your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. Their whole U.S. demo fleet is there with the Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, the Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. 
Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void, that's one word, into the void, and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over 200 US dollars. I mean, come on. You already know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December, and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. All right then, it's just about time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah. Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition, a special, I know I say it all the time, a special edition of Lunatic Fringe, but this is a really special edition because we're venturing on into a new chapter of the podcast, and I've got a super cool guest that's going to help kind of inaugurate the whole thing and kick it off, Uh, and I don't even want to dance around. Who the fuck are you, and what do you do? So I am Chris Stewart, and I work for New Zealand Aerosports as a test jumper, although not so much test jumping right now. Whew. That just literally gave me goosebumps. Like the whole concept yeah. of being a test jumper freaks me the fuck out. Yeah, it, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. It, I I don't really think about it so much anymore. But I think if you if you step back from it, and I know before I started doing it, I was like. It sounds awesome, but fucking crazy, you know? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, even the, the, the whole test pilot, the whole first to do anything thing, uh, you know, I, I, as a skydiver, of course, all skydivers want to think that they're pretty bold people because of what we do, but I'm kind of a pussy when it comes to that. I don't want to be the first to do anything. <laughs> yeah, so. no, no, I understand that as well. There's been a few times uh, in the last couple of years where I was like, I wasn't super happy that I was the, the first person to maybe have that canopy collapse on me, but... Yeah, you know, so I mean, the, for the most part, the, the the good outweighs the bad, you know, and the right. bad makes the makes the good way more enjoyable. For sure. For well, that's that's the recipe for the entire. Well, shit, that's just a recipe for life, really. But yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah, exactly. we're, we're gonna get back to the test jumping stuff. I want to jump all the way back to the beginnings, where you're from, how you got started in anything extreme, um, and then of course how it led you to uh, jumping out of airplanes. Yeah, okay, cool. So I um, I started jumping in 2008, and we have this – I'm from Dunedin in the South Island, and before that, like, I mean, you didn't even know skydiving was a sport. You know, we didn't even know it was a sport, let alone a, a you know, a job opportunity or a prospect sure. or a career path. Um, so I was, I was remember, actually, I was being – I was training – I was 19, and I was training to be a builder, um, like a, a carpenter, and it just wasn't it just wasn't working out basically. So I was like, man, fuck this. I need to I need to change my tact. So um, it was actually end of two thousand seven. I just googled uh, skydiving basically, and um, lo and behold, there's a, there's a, like a a government funded skydiving course in New Zealand. <laughs> so I think now the first year is free. So that would have been fucking nice back in the day. But hey, right. Um, so. Yeah, so I applied for this course and uh, got accepted, um, which I don't think was too hard to do. Just had to show that you weren't a moron and you could pay the money. Sure. Um, 
so yeah, 2008, I moved to not too far from um, from where the city I lived in um, to a little town called Methven, and I began my skydiving path. I guess so. The course is basically it's like six six months in like at the course, and then three months of work placement. So I did the course. Uh, I wanted to get out of New Zealand, so I used it as a way to to travel. And my first stop for work placement was Byron Bay in Australia. So beautiful drop zone. I got heaps of really good opportunities there. Nice. Nice. Now, what, what 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 aimed you towards skydiving in the first place? Was it just kind of a you pulled something out of a hat when I want to do something unusual, or was this something that you've been drawn to before? No, there, there was no there was no real uh, yearning for. It. I always thought like I wanted to do a skydive, you know, like a tandem skydive, like your your average punter. Mm. Um, but I, I initially actually when I was looking online. I was looking just at dive courses because I knew there was like a like scuba diving like, to become a dive master or whatever. Sure. Uh, I knew there was that course was available in my hometown, but I just I just wasn't that excited about it. And I thought I wonder if if there's something skydiving based, and I just randomly Googled it. And I've actually said this to um, from this is gonna be a, a bit of a time jump forward, but I have people ask it all the time. But I remember there I was taking someone for a tandem in Mexico, and uh, they. They were just like so breathtaking by the experience. I just taken for the jump, and they wanted this. You know, how how did you get into this? It must be amazing. And I, I guess they were expecting something like I looked at the birds and always wanted to fly. <laughs> right. And then I just looked at her blankly, you know, on the side as I could from behind as I was uh, doing the jump, and I was just like, I just googled it. She was so disappointed <laughs> to hear me say I just googled it. She was wanting some like magical response, and I just was like, I just googled it, and then spiraled us down to the ground. Job done. That is a pretty deflating answer. Yeah, I fucking googled it. <laughs> it is a def- yeah, it is a deflating answer. But for where it got me, I'm, it's the best Google search I've ever done. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, usually they just draw you down really bad porn rabbit holes. They don't take you into a whole pretty, new lifestyle. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Porn rabbit holes, and I think when I was a kid, there was this weird thing called Faces of Death, which was horrible. Yeah. Oh, but I remember. My, I had two older. Yeah, I had two older brothers, and that that was their the older brothers just searching for crap. So yeah. No, it was definitely the the best Google search I've done, for, well, hands down. So now it's it's funny because I, I was lucky enough to go in, around 2010 and jump in the Bay of Islands for a season doing uh, tandems uh, and had a wonderful yep. time. And by then, New Zealand was very much, uh, you know, on, almost hand in glove with what you would consider extreme sports. You know, AJ Hackett started bungee there. By the time I went there, uh, New Zealand was like the winter destination for American instructors to go work. Uh, you know, there was this wonderful circuit of people that would go summers in the U.S. and then summers in New Zealand and just have this eternal skydiving summer. Uh, so it's funny that back uh, when in 2007, the extreme stuff really wasn't even on the radar for you. That's that's kind of bizarre. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess because I wasn't in the industry, so I started April 2008. So my first taste of skydiving was the school. So I didn't really know. I mean, I knew they had skydive Queenstown, like Endzone and Wanaka and things like that. Um, but you know, I never really looked into it. Sure. So for me, I was just like, I've got to get out of this country. And it's funny you say that, that I think even when I was there, it was starting to kick off quite a bit. Right. Um, it was probably like close to the beginning of it. Um, but when I was, when I started traveling and you, you know, a couple of years down the track and I started spending a lot more time out of New, well, all of my time out of New Zealand, 
you start kind of looking back and it was quite funny i had this realization that you, you know when you go to like a theme park or something like that and then when you when you walk up to it you can see you know all the rides and stuff and then when you leave you know they're in your rearview mirror right it was kind of like it was kind of like that when i when i not when i left new zealand initially but when i went back i was like man new zealand is just to the outside world and like for tourism in general you know it's just this big theme park of oh, like yeah adventure and action and stuff like that well that's what we are two islands of like of um roller coasters more or less it really is i mean uh, um especially when i got there of course it already had this amazing reputation especially in the skydiving industry but uh worldwide fame for its beauty because of of course the lord of the rings movies and all this stuff that really put new zealand in people's faces and and then you get there and find out there's this amazing diving and sailing and all this shit and so it's funny that you say you would you would have done anything to get out of New Zealand because most people would do anything to get there <laughs> yeah for sure I think that's one of those things I appreciate now sure. having having been jumping and traveling for the last sort of 12 years especially kind of weirdly now in the, in the time we're in with everything that's going on in the world being I'm, I'm stuck you know I can't go any really sure so I'm actually and even though winter's a shit time to be in Auckland uh which you know where is where we're all based um with the factory um it's I'm actually really weirdly enjoying it. I think also another way, like you've got to look at it positive or else you're just going to go crazy is when, when we do get to travel again, you know, uh, uh, the majority of my friends are competitors and skydivers and, and that sort of thing. So when we do get to travel again, I get to see all them, um, you know, in the next year or two or w- sure. w- whenever it will be. But I'm definitely, it's, it's getting that hunger again for it uh, to travel and compete and whatnot. So yeah. I guess, you know, in a way, it's kind of you got to see the positive somehow. I know it's not a positive situation, but you know it, it is going to give me a bit of life uh, back to it. You, no matter what you do, I think if you do it too much, it burns you out. And for me at the time, it was just constantly traveling. And sure, I think now this is just a good way to recharge the batteries. So well, that you know, was kind of I'm stoked. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I mean, that's how it was for me when I took a, a about a four year break from jumping. I didn't leave the sport because I was flying still and dropping jumpers, but I just stopped skydiving because it wasn't. I was getting too burned out on it, and, and I found myself in free fall thinking of shit that was happening on the ground. And that's when you know you're not invested in what's going on. And I took about a four-year break not jumping and didn't jump again until the idea not just excited me but made me nervous. I went, oh, fuck. Yeah. I mean, jump out of a jump yeah. out of a plane. And then it was, it was fucking amazing, you know? Uh, so I think it's kind of the same thing is especially with all the traveling and competing and stuff you've done, you take a step back and now you get to go, oh, shit, that actually was really cool and I can't wait to get back to it. Yeah, no, exactly, man, 100%. So now when, when you got started in that school, um, that school was actually up and running when I was there jumping in um, – well, I jumped in Whangarei and, and in the Bay of Islands. And we ended up with a packer that came out of that school. And it was almost, it was kind of a sideways running joke that, uh, wait a second, there's a school and job placement for skydiving? That seems weird. Yeah. What was it like there? Because I, I, I won't lie. It was a, a bit of a joke um, around the drop zone is, oh, God, we got a student. He's he just out of school and he's coming to work. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure, man. I could I could definitely testify. You 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 live in this bubble when you're at the school, and um, you know, like you, that's all you know. And for a lot of us, we leave this place and we're so sheltered. We think you know, you you leave with like 150 jumps, right? Six months, so 180 jumps. So you you kind of think you're a, a bit of a big swinging dick, right? You know, and then you get put in your place pretty quickly, right? So. You know, and and the school when when I was there, like that's all that was there. 
the school as it is now, it's moved up to Auckland, but that's a running drop zone. So they get to be around experienced skydivers who kind of, you know, put them in their place, so to speak. Awesome. Whereas, man, we were in this bubble and it was just like, sweet, you were the juniors and then the, the senior course would leave. So you'd have two courses at a time and then another course would come in and, you, and you'd become the seniors. You'd become king shit. So right. for sure, I think it takes, like when I went to Byron, man, I think some drop zones looked at it for what it was and it was man, you didn't need to hire the person afterwards. So you get three months worth of free labor. Like You didn't have to pay them. <laughs> right. You just give them like 20, 30 jumps, and it's like, sweet, we've got someone emptying our bins and picking up passengers for sure. three months. Sure. So I, I was – I was uh, the, the school had sent a few students to Byron Bay, so they doubt they – like the way they sort of used me and stuff was pretty good. But it, I definitely took a few months of, or like a, a good month of just being like, yeah, sweet, man. Like I – I don't really know anything, right. uh, which was nice, you know, in a way. So you get a, you kind of, you do this course and for what it is, you know, it, there's some good stuff in there, but there's stuff you can't learn, not at a, in a bubble. So. Sure. Well, I think that was the general yeah. consensus was, oh, wait, we're getting somebody with 150 jumps that thinks he's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. you're like, come on, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Yeah. Go hop I think, on. I think it's good. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Go, go, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's good now with it running at a real drop zone sure. because of the bubble. It's still a bit of a bubble, but they have outside jumpers. You know, that's where where I go and do my my work work jumps and stuff like that. So it's it's a little bit better. But man, I reckon there was a um, there was a stigma about this. Like when I traveled the world, and people, I mean, at that stage you start getting experience, so people they don't even think that you would have done the course, and they're sure. like, oh, we've heard about this course, this course in New Zealand. What the fuck's <laughs> up with that? And then I'm just like, well, I actually did that. Yeah. So I've actually, I think I've had people take the piss out of it um, while I was at competitions. You know, being an experienced swooper and sure. just like I did the course. Sure. You know, like, hey, it's it's one way to get into it. It worked out for me. But I mean, you, yeah, you gotta. Well, and and uh, you know, I give it shit, but I do that also with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, it's bringing skydivers yeah. into the sport and it's giving them valuable instruction. And I don't give shit to an average hundred and fifty jump wonder. Um, so why would I give shit to them from the school? Well. I do only because I've read the advertisements from back then where it said you could get your, you know, you, you would be trained and get a rating as a cameraman or, or a rating. Yeah. And yeah. you're like, wait a second, what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure yeah. they don't, you know. So it, it was partially the school's fault just in the way that they produced it. It's not that what they were teaching was bad because obviously it's amazing. It, it brought us skydivers like you. It's just the perception yeah. in the skydiving world was a bit of a joke. <laughs> No, oh man, no, and I, and I, uh, yeah, I completely. And to be honest, uh, my course was just like I met some of my really good mates who I'm still in touch with now. And um, dude, man, like we actually we were kind of at the glory, like the glory days of the school tour. I'd say where we had beer nights once a week, so you'd get beer fines like you know you would on a drop zone, but sure. because we're in this bubble, our beer fines consisted of going down to the pub and you'd have to buy two jugs per beer fine. And we had someone whose job it was to police this. He was the beer sheriff. And basically every Thursday of the week, we were down at the pub and everyone paid their beer fines. And I remember um, my my instructor was just like, "Hey man, like you're going to be on drop zones and you're going to have to work when you're hungover. This is training." <laughs> so that was probably that was probably the best training that I actually got was just getting fucking wasted on Thursdays, going to this course on Friday, oh. and just being like. We're meant to be. I think the first time I did this beer night, we were learning to pack. And the next day, I was just like, I fell asleep on my pack job. And my instructor, um, 
just comes along. His name's Jeff Mundy. Uh, he came along. I'm sure he won't mind me saying his name. He's a bit of a le- he's been a bit of a legend around here anyway. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember falling asleep on my canopy or, or whatever, or just passing out. He's like, "Wait, what the fuck are you doing? You got to fucking pack." And I was just like <laughs> learning. And I I would I sucked at packing when I was sober, so I'm super hungover. I'm just like, I just want to throw up in this thing and go home. Man. Oh, I don't give a man. shit. Oh man, see that right yeah. there? That's the best advertisement you've given for the school yet. That is some real world skydiving yeah. shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> And you know what? That actually, because we did that for six months every Thursday, and it, it fucking got me going. Like that was that's kind of I think when I went to Byron Bay, like uh, like we were just talking about before. But yeah. like I said, for that one time, um, just you know, I didn't take any time off. I was so eager. So I mean, I just got I just got fucked up whenever we, whenever we you know whenever we decided to. I remember sure. one Halloween, we got. We had a Halloween party and it was like kind of tied in with the mates going away party. We just invited everyone from the drop zone, anyone, you know, that, like like we talk about the glory day, the glory days. We used to spend, man, I used to make good money. I don't know where the fuck it's gone now. We used to spend it on rent. I mean, I remember me and my mate, I, like alcohol in Australia is quite expensive. It's mm. taxed pretty high. We got we were making such good money that we decided we were too lazy to mix Jack Daniels and Coke. So we got pre-mixed cans and a 24-pack cost a hundred Aussie dollars and we were just like, We're okay with that. It means we don't have to do anything but open the can. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh man. Like that's just like it's just fucking dumb. But so anyway, we had this we had this Halloween party and we all we all dressed up and um it got pretty fucking loose and everyone got you know got hammered and it was going off. Everything, you know, under the sun was being done. Sure. And um and then we got a noise complaint and the cops came over and at this stage like people had started sort of leaving, but it was like, I think it was like sort of four thirty-five in the morning. All right. And this was on. So we started the party on Tuesday, and then it's going on a Wednesday. And the cops are just like knocked on the door, and I, uh, I was dressed as Batman, and I just answer the door, and I'm just like, "What's wrong, fellas?" And they, they were like, "It's Wednesday. What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we're all skydivers, so we just we just party when we can, and this is when we can." And they were like, oh, well, you need to keep it down. And I think I had a beer in my hand, dressed as Batman. I was like, we're just playing a bit of cards now if you guys want to come in and join. I mean, everyone's welcome. <laughs> I was fucked at ass these cops. Oh, man. Oh, why not, oh, though? It was, it, good time. Oh, good times. It was good times. They took it pretty well. They were just like, they just couldn't believe we were getting like hammered on a on a Tuesday night or sure. Wednesday morning. Well, we uh, we talked before, uh, before we started recording uh, about uh, Cross Keys and back in the day that were my big party days, 2004, 2005 uh, and, and such. And, and uh, the drop zone itself uh, was in a residential neighborhood, but far enough away that you could get pretty rowdy without getting noise complaints. But it was just a known thing that this place was party central seven days a week. You never knew when it was going to go off. Uh, but the city yeah. loved the place. They, you know, it brought in a lot of business. It brought a lot of attention to the area. Hell, the fire department used to come out with their trucks to fill up the swoop pond. And they'd arc the water in a really, really high arc and let the uh, the guys swoop under the water as they were filling up the swoop pond. Uh, so the area. Oh, that's fucking Oh, yeah. They loved us. But, of course, what that meant was the mayhem went extra levels because we knew we could get away with most of it. And holy shit. The fact that most of us survived those days is amazing. Yeah. Oh, the the truth. The truth. Like, I talk about my glory days at Byron Bay, but you're obviously – you're a little bit before me. And they – 
we can argue they were the. I guess it's all relative though, because there's someone right. who's young, uh, older than you, going like, "No, we had the glory days." Of course. <laughs> oh well, see, that's the He's thing is, back. is I watch what are, are you know these jumpers' glory days now coming up, going, "Holy shit!" And why not go go big? My big thing is is yeah. uh, obviously uh, as you get older, you start going all right, wow, I did survive that. What an idiot I was. And you try and steer people away from doing those stupid things. But at the end of the day, it's kind of hard to, I mean, I did all the same shit and so did everybody else. So it's, you know, it's the pot calling the kettle black in this case, trying to keep people safe, but we all know people are going to do some silly things. Yeah, for sure. I I think though probably like the ratios changed. I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like now I'm on drop zone sometimes, and it's like, sweet, should we have some beers? And it's like, everyone's gone. They're off drinking kombucha and doing yoga. Right. So there there is a modern skydiver, which is not a bad thing, you know. Like, it's good. These people, especially the high-level athletes, are actually treating it more like a sport. And it's like, if you're fit and healthy, it works. But there is times when I'm, like, at a boogie, and it's like, you guys want to have a beer or something? Or at 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 a competition, and it's just like... Right. You know, like I know we're doing things. I know what we're doing. Like it's not about getting fucked up anymore, or like all the time. But I, I change that. It is about getting fucked up sometimes, but it's not always about that. Right. But like it's just a beer at the end of the day, you know, on the drop zone. I don't think that's too far, you know. No, so, no. Well, and it's also a little yeah. bit different now in the the massive party days uh, from my days. Social media wasn't what it is now. So you did a lot yeah. of shit that you knew wasn't going to be on camera. There weren't going to be pictures. No random video of you doing something insane was going to pop up. And so nowadays, I think people temper themselves a little bit because they realize, oh shit. <laughs> This isn't just going to be a story. This is going to be a fucking video. (laughs) So Yeah, you you wake up the next morning and you can just message all your mates going, delete it. You don't know what they got. But they've got something on you to right. like delete it. Well, and they're not going to obviously. It'll make its way on the internet, right? Well, and again, you you uh, you had told a, a story before we started uh, about uh, an, an encounter with Micah prior to a a competition that I thought was funny because you oh, yeah. weren't you weren't going out looking for it. It just kind of came to you, and I'd love to hear that story again. Yeah. So. So we're in the Middle East, we're at um, the DIPC, and I was there with uh, my friend, uh, my teammate, um, both representing New Zealand, Lee Barraclough, and it was two days before the competition, and, um, you know, we get up, we do a jump or two or whatever that day, and then we're like, cool, we need to keep going, and then Mike is hanging around on the drop zone. He doesn't have to work because this event's on, <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> he's just like, you boys want to go for a beer? And we're like, no, man, we've got to train. And he just, just, he just kind of deadpans us and just goes, I mean, are you guys going to win? Like, very serious. And we're just like, well, no, but, you know, like a top 10 would be nice. I'd like to do well. And I think I think I actually uh, forgot this last time, but I think he actually said to me, like, no one fucking remembers who's in the top 10. And then he goes, no one's even going to remember who wins this fucking thing next year. And I'm just like, my rubber arm and Lee's rubber arm were like, sweet. Let's go for a beer. So we end up we end up getting in a car with Micah, and we end up going to a mall. Uh, I don't remember where it was, but it was just some dodgy bar. Like it wasn't dodgy, obviously. You know right. where we were. It was really flash, but it's just like it was smoking in the, inside. And man, we just we just end up sitting there and just sitting at the bar, tanking beers. Obviously, like booze isn't cheap, so we were just like whatever, blowing through our jumping budget on drinking that day instead. <laughs> and we just yeah, we just end up. Getting fucked up two days before competition. I think the next day I did like a handful of training jumps. I was like, no, nah, fuck that. That's that's training done. I'm good. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. I've trained myself for the after party. 
That, I tell you what, that encapsulates the spirit of Micah Couch so well because he was just such a, come on, fuck it, guys. We're here, right? Let's yeah. go live. Let's do it. Does this, does this really matter? Does this really matter? <laughs> That's so fucking Micah. It was Micah. kind of good, actually. Like, man, it's, so, it's crazy as well now. Like, the more I, like, when I think about that story, I'm like, there's times when I'm in competition and I'm like, like most times now, I guess when I'm in competition, I'm like, sweet, focus and and get it done. But I guess other things in life where I'm like, man, do I want to take this? Does it, you know, does it really matter if the social game I'm doing or whatever it is that's that doesn't really like ultimately, not a lot we do matters in the grand scheme of things. Right. We're all going to die anyway. It's a right. kind of a bleak way to look at it. But we might as well have a fucking good time while we're here. Yeah. So I get. I guess I kind of like Micah. You know, I was. I was. You know, honored and stoked to have, have been mates with them, but I definitely, I kind of, I think it's such a funny little story, little anecdote. But I, man, I think about that. I do think about that, and it does remind me to go. Remember that time Michael was just like, you paid thousands of dollars to be at this competition. He was like, does it really matter? Fuck it, let's go for a beer. And there's just times I think where you can apply that to your life, where you're just like, this doesn't matter. Fuck it, let's go have fun. Oh, indeed, no so, one. And he was right. he was probably the biggest ambassador to enjoying your life that you know that I've known in the sport, and, and that a lot of people have known in the sport. The guy just embodied going out and enjoying life and being good to other people because he didn't just go out and party and have fun and do all these badass jumps. He made sure other people were having fun and doing badass things and partying and getting in a little bit of trouble. So he kind of um, took he, it upon yeah. himself to make sure everybody was along for the ride which is just fucking cool he was a machine man he was a machine i do remember though he did show like signs of being human when uh i can't remember it might have been funny farm in australia or something but it was an event and he was just he just he just goes 110 percent all the time you know so i saw him on a day when he was just tired i'm like you're right man what's up and he's just like man i just need a break for, for me, when I'm working, to give 110%, I just need a little bit of time out every now and then. Sure. And I think he took like maybe like an hour that day, and then he's like, boom, I'm back. Yeah. That's just like fucking good uh, he, effort, man. Well, and right. he was he was super intuitive when it came to other people as well because he knew, you know, he'd push you a little bit to try and get you to do something that you might not be open to doing, but he knew when to back off. And he could also tell when someone else needed a little lifting. You know, um, I had uh, a few years back, I had had a, a close friend who had worked with me and Micah and, and the crew I'm with uh, had passed away while living in the States. And uh, he saw me walking across the parking lot of the drop zone trying to avoid everybody because it had just happened. I didn't want to deal with it Um, and uh, walked over and forced a hug on me, forced uh, the connection. He's like, dude, everybody loved him, too. And, of course, then I break down like a four-year-old because I'm like, this is not what I wanted, but it was what I wanted. He just could see that kind of thing. He was amazing at that, which is – it's a rare thing to see. And the cool thing is – because he affected so many people that way, he passed it on and has other people acting that way, which is amazing. Oh, man, for sure. Definitely like a massive positive influence uh, on my life. And I think, man, so many people who have met him, you know. Oh, for sure. So, just, yeah, just a good person. Just good at reading people's energy. And like you said, he was kind of – he had a way of passing that on as well. Yeah, he did. So back to back to you and, and your progression in the sport. So you did Byron. Um, when did you? Yeah, so when did you know? All right, I'm I'm in this for the long haul, and I don't just want to work in it. I want to compete and excel in it. Um, I knew that I was in it for the long haul. Like, so I'd never done a tandem when I did the course in New Zealand. Mm. I knew that I was like, yeah, I can fucking do this. I can make this my life. After the first jump, 
And then uh, I think probably in, in Byron was where, like, it started. I did, I, you know, we didn't know anything really about swooping or anything like that. So in Byron was where um, I started doing a lot of camera. And I was very fortunate just to fall into a camera slot pretty quickly. So I got my jump numbers up very quick. Nice. And I just remember just being like, I, I never really like looked at free flying or swooping or relative work or anything like that. And was like, I'm going to pick one of these. I just, I just fell into canopy piloting just through um, doing camera. And it, like I, I, it was weird because I didn't really know canopy piloting was a thing, mm. but I knew I loved it when the canopy opened. I loved filming the tandems and going for fun jumps, but there was just something when the parachute opened. And this was, um, I almost remember this feeling when I was on like a 240 student canopy. And I was just like, when I was in Byron, I started seeing these guys swoop more and more. And I was like, man, that's what I fucking want to do, more of this. And then um, obviously skydiving is like a who you know industry. Sure. And a buddy of mine who was just a – he was a tandem instructor and um, camouflage in, in Byron, Barton Hardy. He was the general manager in Scotto Voss. Okay. And, yeah, so he came back one season. It was the first time I met him. He came back uh, for the summer, and he just – we were all just sitting in uh, – at the end of the day, we were all just sitting in the, um, in the lounge, in the work lounge, and we just, he just started showing us all these videos, you know, what he got up to over there. We we're all just having a beer. And I was just like, yeah, fuck, this is cool. And then he showed me, he showed us all mountain flying. Mm. And I was like, that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to do that. That's, yep, sorted. And I just, I saw that and I was like, that's what I'm fucking doing. Wow. That is where I'm going to be next. And um, I did wait, actually. He offered me, at this stage, I was on a, a 120 stiletto. Okay. And he did offer he did offer me to, jar, to like a job that season, uh, like the following winter, sorry. So he came back for the summer, and then he was leaving again, and he asked, and I said, I actually declined it because, and it was, it was probably quite smart at the time, um, because I wanted to get, I was doing a lot of jumps in Byron Bay, and I wanted to get my level up, and I was like, Man, I want to I want to get better at swooping, and there was a couple of camera guys there who who we had all jumped together, and they were kind of you know giving me advice and stuff. So I stuck on there for another uh, another year or another eight nine months, mm. and just to the point where when he came back for the next summer, I was now on a ninety six velo, and I was swooping, and we were doing two way landings, and I was getting pretty current, uh, like pretty you know I guess. At the time, not as good a level as I'm at now, but sure. for, for how long I'd been in the sport, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm doing okay for now. And I was like, yeah, now I can, I have the, the wing and a little bit, because this got, did go wrong as well, a little bit of the skill set required to now go and uh, take advantage of those mountains. So sure. he offered me the same job a, a year later. And uh, yeah, I took it. I was stoked. I just talked to my boss about it, and he was like, if you go in one more year, when you come back every other time, you can have your job back, kind of rough thing, rough idea. And I just said, no, nah, man, I just just give my job away. I'm right. going. I'm out. I'm, I've got to do this now. So, and, look, uh, in, yeah. In hindsight, looking back, did that extra year training and swooping and, and downsizing a little bit and get more comfortable with canopies, did it give you more of an edge in the mountains? Because we're not talking about uh, mellow stuff. Uh, terrain flying yeah. in canopies fucking dangerous yeah yeah i've got a couple of stories to go with that as well mm. um so my first year in voss i was there we did this introduction i think by this stage i'd been jumping for like not even two years mm. or just over just just two years and i've done 1800 jumps and they're all like what the fuck because they're you know they're, they're uh they're summer jumpers so they don't jump year round so they were right. like 
was this fucking Kiwi guy who's turned up. Anyway, so, and, and man, I think I was, I was like 22, 21, 21 or something like that. Yeah, 21. Because I was 19 when I started. So I was, I'm 21, and I'm like, sweet. I'm fucking, you know, you think you're king shit. I'm in Norway. I'm unbreakable. I had a really good season. Absolutely loved it. Like everything in, in Scott Voss, I kind of say, I can't say enough good things about that place. Like it, it did give me, like it got me a lot more connections, you know, it got me onto some other stuff I, I guess I'll get into. But for the first year, I was there, I was flying the mountains. I was stoked, man. I was like, man, I only saw this stuff less than a year ago and I'm doing it. I'm fucking doing it. This is sick. Anyway, I uh, I got to the point that season where they trusted me to lead groups down. Hmm. And... Um, Man, and like twenty one, it's all about getting the closest, running the right. sickest line. Right. And I was like, right, I can push further back. So we're in Goodvangen, which is where a lot of the Norwegian mountain flying comes, and um, we're doing what's called the waterfall. That's not sorry, anyone Norwegian. I can't remember the name right now. Um, <laughs> so we're doing the waterfall, and basically what you did is you just traversed the the top edge, and you would turn, and you could kind of swoop off the top of it. You didn't really get too close, like I. I got somewhat close, but it was pretty steep. But then I was like, fuck, man, I think I can go way further back. So I looked at a few videos, and I, I did my research. It just turns out my research was fucking shit. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I pushed. I was leading this group. I told them what we were going to do. So, firstly, I'm leading a group, man. I should be dialing it back and just making sure everyone gets down safe. That's the responsibility mm. of the leader, you know. I know that now. I'm older, more experienced, maybe a little bit wiser, but – at the time, I was like, no, this is about they get to see how close I can get. Now, right. watch this. Right. So I set up super deep in the, in the back of this uh, of the of the ridge, and I was like, yeah, no, that looks good. I turned, and the ground got closer, and I'm like, yeah, that looks good, and I kept going. I was like, I have no outs because I've flown at the back, like I'm coming from the back of the mountain. Sure. And um, I'm on rears. Rears aren't doing anything anymore. The ground's getting close. And then I'm on toggles, and then uh, I'm – like, I'm like, fuck, I'm impacting. And it was kind of like, I was on a Velo 84, I believe, Oof. and uh, or a Velo 96, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so I'm flying down, and uh, it's like where the waterfall, it's probably about 100 meters off the edge, and I just end up pounding in. It's like slow motion. I end up pounding in into the creek, and I tumble down the creek for like not very far, a few meters and then I get up and I'm like, I remember standing up and I'm doing like this body check and I'm like, I don't actually have the footage, which is disappointing, but I'm like, I check my head. I'm like, is there any blood coming from anywhere? <laughs> is anything broken? And my limbs are all attached. Anyway, so I climb out of the creek and I'm just, so sorry, I'm climbing, well, I'm climbing out of this creek, this water, the top of the waterfall. And um, I get out, I do the body check, make sure nothing's broken. And then uh, luckily, you know, like I could still walk. One of the guys, um, another guy who was leading, landed up there with me. So that's fucking my dickhead move was I led him. He was like, oh, you said it was going to be good. And I was like, man, I, I fucked up here real bad. <laughs> anyway, so he was okay. I think he like broke his toe or something. But he ended up packing my, my parachute on the top of this mountain, which is a national park. So we're not technically allowed to get airlifted off. Um because we weren't like in you know critical condition. Anyway, sure. we got permission. Helicopter comes and gets us. We go off. I go to hospital. I get an X-ray. I have like a very minor fractured wrist. I'm jumping like three weeks later, four weeks later uh, in Germany. That was the end of my season, though. Mm. Anyway, 
So I get, there's some lessons in here as well, not just me being a fucking like me being a fucking idiot. Is people can learn from this, which is pull your head in. You're not um, fucking unbreakable. Right. Anyway, the kicker is the next year I went back. I was leading on the other side, and obviously I hadn't learned my lesson, and I push. I was pushing even harder at this stage, and um, I caught a tree at the bottom of the V, which is on the other side of the mountain. So I've crashed on both sides. Only this time I was not lucky. Uh, well, I was lucky in the in the fact that I didn't die. Right. Um, canopy caught a tree. That's the last sound, like that, that rustling sound. That was the last sound I heard. And then um, next thing I know, I wake up and I'm on the I'm on the side of this mountain, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" Anyway, I, my back was sore. My, I'd knocked my tooth. Was like my mouth was bleeding. I was like, "What's that?" And um, I wiggled my tooth, and it just came out. So one of my front teeth came out. Now it's a fake one with a titanium screw. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, so I thought I'd broken my back. The guys didn't know where I was. They end up finding me. The helicopter ends up, uh, the rescue chopper ends up lifting me off. Before all of this, I had a new pair of swoop shorts. There's a fucking piece of shit squad over. I've got a broken back. I've got a new pair of swoop shorts. What's more important, being able to walk or not cutting my swoop shorts? So I climb out of my, uh, no, sorry, my rig, my rig. I climb out of my rig. Of course. And then, yeah, climb out of my rig so they don't cut that off me. I get airlifted off, and that's right. In the helicopter, they go to cut my new swoop shorts off, and I'm like, no, not you. And the guy's like, okay, we can try and get them off. And it's the most agonizing getting undressed I've ever done. Pull my pants off, shoot me up with morphine or whatever. Um, and they, they, they thought when they lifted me off, they had the sling around my, like, under my arms and lifted me off straight. I wasn't on a stretcher or anything. Oof. And they thought. They were like, yeah, sweet. You, he did a couple of checks on the mountain. He was like, you don't have a broken back. We, we don't think. You know, it's probably just some bruising. I go to hospital. The doctor does some checks on the on my spine. He's like, no, we don't think you do either. Anyway, I end up getting um, the MRI, and I've got a broken. My L2's uh, cracked mm. or kind of exploded. Um, but another, actually, this was quite funny. I'm lying. So my tooth, how it came out, I put it in my pocket of my swoop shorts, when you get to the to the hospital, they obviously put all your belongings, you know, with you or in the corner. Mm. The doctor's like, "Oh, you've you've lost your tooth," and I was just like hopped up on drugs. And I remember looking up at this doctor, just going, "It's in my pocket, it's in my pocket," <laughs> like it can go back in somehow, like it's snapped off. And then the doctor pulls it out of my pocket, and I remember him walking over to me, and he's like, "I'm lying down on the bed," and he looks over me, standing over over top of me, holds his tooth, and he just looks at me, and he goes. That's not going back in. And I'm just like, no, freaking out like I've lost my tooth forever. <laughs> so I was very lucky with that one as well. Like, um, I definitely have learned my lesson from that one, you know, like pushing and trying to show off for cameras or for no one, you know, is, sure. is just pointless. Well, you know, um, I kind of, I, I was lucky enough to learn that lesson and it didn't involve pain for anyone. And it was obviously a completely different kind of skydiving. But during those crazy years in Cross Keys, uh, looking back on all the videos, it became obvious that the tandems we were taking people on, the passenger was an afterthought because clearly this was the camera flyer and the instructor just having a fuckload of fun. And there happened to be a passenger there. And the lesson, of yeah. course, towards the end of that second year was 
this is supposed to be about them. This is not our skydive. It's their skydive, and we're just there to facilitate it and keep them safe. And it was the same with you. You're leading these guys. At the end of the day, those weren't your jumps. Um, and that's a hard yep. lesson to learn, right? I mean, it's even without injury, to look back and go, oh, fuck, I was being a prick. Is not. It's not yeah, fun. Sure. You know, but it's, no, a, man, it's a valuable it, lesson. It's an eye-opener for sure. And I've told people this story, and I mean, I hope when I tell them it, um, I'm like, man, you don't need to, you, you'll probably, get, everyone's going to learn their own little thing, but if they can learn something that's less severe than the way I had to learn the lesson, exactly. then, you know, I, I hope that, I hope they can for sure. Well, but that story, story now is like, go ahead, go yeah. ahead. But that story now is like, that, that actually led to me, like, I didn't know what to do. I went home with my tail between my legs. I ended up jumping two and a half months later. Like I was very stubborn and um, I kind of did my recovery as quick as I could, uh, which I'm unsure whether it was a good thing. I'll let you know in 10 years if my back's fully fucked or not. <laughs> right. But I went to um, I went to Lodi, actually, <laughs> the famous Lodi. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I went to California. I had nowhere else to go. And I was just like, man, I need to go and jump. And I know I can go work on the dodge there. And uh, so I did that. And that led to me my first experience of XRW, um, where we were using the ratchet system, which uh, you're probably familiar with as well, and is fucking terrifying. And anyone mm. now who does XRW and is just using a Petra or a Peregrine or whatever, and has no idea what that is, just be grateful you don't, because it sucks <laughs> dick. It was fucking. It could go wrong pretty quick. Sure. So, um, was, but yeah, that led to me. Yeah. Sorry. What, no, what year were you out in uh, Lodi? So that was 2011 um, into 2012. So I'd done the XRW. I'd done like a few a few projects and stuff like that. I mean, it was uh, it was awesome. It was such an eye opener. And I think at the t- at the time I was using an 84 Velo with this ratchet system. I was a bit heavier than I am now, and I was wearing like 25 30 pounds of weight in this vest. Wow. And it was it was it was punishing, man. But it was. I, don't know, I was still I was twenty three or whatever at the time, and I was just sure. like I was so stoked to do this. I didn't even care, you know. Now I'm so grateful that I can jump a sixty six Petra as I am and and go dock on a wingsuit. So it's a it's a it's a bonus, but it's, it's I'm quite stoked to be, you know, a part of that generation that had to experience that and to see sort of the development of it. Sure. Um, well, and for me, it was cool because. Even though I wasn't part of that generation doing the jumping, I've been flying throughout. And actually, you you and I either crossed paths in Lodi or came damn close because I was flying the Chicago Twin Otter for Lodi for about a month when all his aircraft had been grounded by the FAA. <laughs> and what this, month was that? Um, God, this would have been either 2010 or 2011. Um, and I, yeah, I flew for about a month in the, the green, black and white Chicagoland Twin Otter. Uh, Katie Hansen was jumping, doing wingsuit stuff out there at the time. Um, yeah, I was jumping with Katie. Yeah. Okay. So if we didn't cross paths, we came damn close. Um, and the the point to that was, even though I wasn't doing those jumps, I was able to watch them and I was, you know, coordinating with Katie on jump runs and how it was best to, you know, get them in the right spot and how slow they wanted the aircraft and how much time they needed. And so for me, from that angle, not doing the jumps, but knowing what it took was super cool to watch just this insane progression and getting to witness it all was so neat. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, it wasn't just it wasn't just the canopy and the the canopy because obviously the wingsuits advanced, but also working with a with a good pilot. Now, in the projects I've done in uh, you know in the more recent years, working with a good pilot 
can make such a big difference to that setup you know like like you would know what we're working with is like we want to get that formation as tight and quickly together as possible so like a good pilot helps so much as well well and it's it's it's, great uh, from our end too again being an older guy that's not going to be doing those jumps it gives me a feeling of ownership in what you guys are doing because i get to pat myself on the shoulder and go i helped make that happen uh you know i can't do that but i can help i can assist in getting it done which is cool it's really because it's a big effort Oh, for sure, man. It's yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not as simple as like I'll jump out, you jump out. Let's make it happen. Like, I mean, right. it, can, it can in some ways be that now, just with the, how far the technology's come and how efficient people are at getting it, getting sure. at it. But for sure, like if you've never done it, a good pilot makes uh, definitely makes makes a big difference. For sh- like, it's someone who you can talk to and who is open, especially you know, any industry. Like, um, we have tandem instructors who are burnt out. We have pilots who are burnt out. But you have pilots who just fucking love what they do. Sure. And then when we go like, this is what we want to do, just to see some of them go like, fuck yeah, how about we try this? And then I could like do a flyby from this angle and we'll get all in the same <laughs> shot. Like, I love that shit. It's fucking, oh, yeah. it's, all, it's always like the cherry on top. If you're doing a sick XRW jump, you're like, this is fucking awesome. And then you just see that Twin Otter or Caravan or whatever just come buzzing past, like relatively close. And you're just like, yeah, there it is. And yep. especially for me, I do a lot of the camera stuff. So when I see it, I'm just like, hold that trigger down. I'm like, I'm getting that fucking money shot. All right. Yeah, I had a, a one jump I did with uh, Junior Ludwig and Max Haim and a bunch of the guys were doing a relatively big XRW formation and Max was shooting the the video and stills. And he was telling me, because he knew I could, I could pretty much follow the formation and do a flyby at one point. And uh, he was telling me, all right, when we get to this point, if you can come by and I want you here in this area. And I'm like... Okay, I can do that, but that's – I mean, I pull a pretty big wake behind me. Is that not going to put you guys through the wake? He's like, yeah, but that's that's where I need you to be for this. It's going to be perfect. Just do it. And I'm like, all right, you're the director. I'll do it. And so I fly by and, you know, close enough to make it respectable. And uh, a junior was linked up on, I, th- I want to say, Micah's chest strap. And his little, I think it was a Petra, canopy went straight through the wake. And he went from flying forward to backwards in a heartbeat. And to oh, this, fuck. Oh, oh, yeah. Trashed him. To this day, he, he uh, says that uh, his, I think it's his left shoulder belongs to me. <laughs> because <laughs> he's had a fair uh, amount of work done on that <laughs> so yes it, yeah. it was in that respect it was super cool to be a part of it and i get to just point the finger at, at one of the greatest camera flyers ever and go yeah max told me to do it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it was his it was his cool guys it was his yeah, cool. yeah yeah it's fucking and i've been i've been lucky as well to jump a bit with uh with junior x yeah and voss a lot of people came through voss and then also uh in the Middle East as well. It's been uh, it's been fucking good times. For sure, for sure. Well, and a lot of talent. Well, obviously, they all end up in places like Voss and, and the amazing in events that have gone on and, and the, especially the big swoop freestyle and stuff that was really bringing canopy piloting to the general public because – I mean, skydiving way back in the day uh, tried its hand at the X Games with sky surfing and stuff, but it's just not a spectator-friendly sport. Either if you're lucky, yeah. you see two little dots in the sky, but otherwise you got to go somewhere to sit in front of a big TV to watch it happen and you don't understand what's going on. But with canopy piloting, exactly. especially the freestyle with the big raft on the water and people are bouncing off the water and skipping all over the place, it's fucking exciting. You don't have to know what's going on to not, you know to love it, which is great. 
Yeah, man, it's fucking cool to be. It's cool to be a part of that. But it's funny you say that though, because uh, in, in the I can't remember how long I've been doing the swoop freestyles now, a few years. But there's one thing that I can guarantee you is they don't care what tricks we do. They want to see either like they love it when we land on the platform. They love it even more when we pound into the water. Absolutely. I mean, it's NASCAR, right? It's people do not hey, go to exactly. NASCAR yep. to watch the cars go around in circles. They want to see him hit the fucking wall. <laughs> they don't want yeah. anybody dead, but they want some mayhem. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you watch, you watch someone. Sorry, go on. No, it's it's fun. It, well, and uh, of course, as a, as a spectator whose friends are the ones doing the competition, I'm not quite as excited about the mayhem because I know water still fucking hurts. Uh, but it's still yeah. fun as fuck to watch your buddy skipping across the water and then get up and you know have fun with it. So I'm a little bit more. Obviously, there's a little bit more concern from my end because I know what's going on, but it's still so cool. Yeah, man, it's it's awesome as well. Actually, I, I do have uh, in the. And the competitions I've done, I don't know, it's, it's easy to forget sometimes that a lot of people, they don't get the opportunity to do that. And and they still like, some of my mates still watch it. And they were just, still, I've had them say to me like, oh, it's fucking cool that we can actually watch this thing and you're on it and we know you. Yes. Not that I'm winning shit, but they can just be like, yeah, you know, there's Chris. So I think just for, for like my friends as well and like a lot of other people's friends who have watched it, just it's just kind of cool to be able to relate and be like, man, there's so-and-so like, on this platform for skydiving, which really at the end of the day, the more positive sort of uh, coverage we get for the sport really is the better for all of us because it's going to yes. produce more skydivers, you know? Yes. Well, and the cool thing too, uh, and I've said it before, I get to play off of the back of the cool shit that happens in skydiving just because I'm a skydiver because the general public doesn't separate um, what you're doing, you know, doing these swoop freestyles from what I do when I say I'm a skydiver. They just assume we're all doing the same shit. So the cool shit oh, that you sure. guys are doing, I just, get, it gets rubbed off on me even though I don't deserve it. And I will happily allow the general public to think that I am some crazy badass pushing limits all day long when at the end of the day i'm kind of a middle of the road maybe a little bit more towards the pussy side of skydiving because i'm very mellow uh, but i still get all the cool points for people that don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> which is no awesome. no come on, mate. you're not a pussy we know well, that but it is it, funny though what's the most common question for all this stuff i've done under canopy as soon as you've got people like fred and vince doing uh their jet man stuff Right. It doesn't matter. We're all mellow, bro. We are all mellow compared right. to that. And then, and then the most common question I get from people when they when they go, "Oh, you're a skydiver. Have you done that that bird thing? You done the bird shooting <laughs> thing?" And all they're thinking about is those lunatics who are flying their fucking yes. those statistics, flying their wingsuits next to mountains. Yes. They're like, yes. have you done that? I'm just like, no, I haven't. But I guess at the same time, I've done mountain flying, but they don't know what that is. No. So that's the most common question: Have you done that? I think my, my smart ass response is always just like, no, I don't like taking up too much room in the plane. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. yeah I'm I, just I, too polite. To do it. <laughs> I, I've, I've gotten that question a million times as well, or, and I'm sure you've seen it a million times. You get the people that come out to do their first time tandem and they all say, oh, yeah, I just want to do this so I can go learn how to fly down a mountain in a wingsuit. Yeah, no, yeah, you don't. Yeah, no, you don't. Yeah, good, good luck with that, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate your, uh, your excitement, but no. Now, speaking of, you eventually transitioned into what you started out the podcast by saying is as a test pilot, which I think yes. yep. is absolutely batshit crazy insane. <laughs> Somebody's yeah, got to do guess, it, but it ain't never going to be me. Someone, <laughs> someone's got to do it. 
Do you know what? Actually, thinking about it as well, I think, um, and we've just started putting out a couple of little videos on uh, on Facebook, and they all seem to be me with a parachute collapsing or doing something <laughs> fucked up. First time, man. First time that canopy's been woo, so good. But um, it's it is funny, especially the the pictures and stuff. Um, a good friend of mine, and I imagine yours too, Cornelia Mihai, is oh, yeah. constantly harassing me about when this new Petra 2 is coming out. I'm just like, you understand that my job is to collapse it and just to treat it like shit. <laughs> she got one uh, just to like, test for us, which is just a prototype, which we ended up getting back, going a different way. But she was like, it doesn't open good. I'm like, yes. You should have seen what it opened like before it went to you. I had to find out. <laughs> so, so how did you how did you end up uh, with NZ Aero and doing this stuff? I mean, because um, NZ Aerosports kind of um, – they didn't come out of nowhere, but it was definitely a um, almost a um, – a boutique kind of canopy thing is you, you, this person was flying an Icarus here, there, and you weren't really sure. And then all of a sudden, bam, they're on the national uh, stage and they're taking podiums all over the place. And, you know, guys that are doing the stuff that you're doing are a big part of that. So how did you end up with NZ Aerosports and pushing towards making these ridiculously awesome canopies? So my, yeah, it's kind of random actually. So obviously I do a lot of the, the video editing for, for aerosport well i do all of it um saw the promo stuff but also so they knew they i was sponsored by aerosport so they knew that i was a canopy pilot but they also was they had used me a couple of times shannon who works for the company is out she does the marketing marketing manager Mm -hmm. she knew that i'd done a a few day tapes for boogies and i used to do a lot of the video editing in voss for like our um, week tapes or best of tapes and she'd seen a couple of my stuff and she was like you know would you mind helping out because she was just under the pump so i ended up helping out just contracting to them making a couple of small videos nothing big and then um i actually got offered for my first summer there uh five years ago to to come over and do a bit of video editing and do a bit of test jumping so it was kind of a little bit of both i wasn't just asked to go there and be you know a test jumper Mm. that was that was part of it um, I remember I had a meeting with Attila and he was like, look, so there's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's the first time living in Auckland. It's a fucking expensive place to live. And he's like, you know, we're not sure if it's going to be full time, but there'll be enough to keep you going. And I was like, sweet. I'm probably just going to go back to living like a student, eating two minute noodles and hot dogs, whatever. Right. I get I get to test jump, you know. Uh, luckily, as most people who, who, who have worked at Aerosports, a part time job turns into a full time job very quickly. Um but yeah, so that's basically how I got in. They just asked me to help out a little bit one summer, and then I just kept going back uh, and just started being more and more involved. So I, I am, I say, I say lucky because I have seen, and I think most people have seen the terrifying videos from the summer of love of <laughs> canopies collapsing. And I think I was listening to your podcast with Attila yeah. about the one that collapsed on him. Yeah, so he sent I, me the video. That was, yeah, so that was before my time, and that's a fucking. That would, I think, that would put most people off. To be honest, um, it's a fucking terrifying video. But luckily for me, Attila and uh, the other guys sort of paved the way with Petra. Mm. So they did all that scary shit. That I'm like, I don't get me wrong, I've still had a few scares, but mine are kind of, I guess, now to the point where we're pretty confident that what we're trying is going to be good. It's just like, or it's going to be jumpable, but it's like, how good is it going to be? Sure. Whereas they were like. This is completely new. We have no idea what's going to happen. You jump it. And, wow. you know, so I'm kind of – and even even how you say, you know, thinking about it, that the thought of that does 
does terrify me a little bit as well that you know jumping well, something that's like what, that but you'd have to have that mentality especially if you're going to go into it you better be scared of what you're doing because that's what's going to keep you sharp oh exactly yeah fear, fear is there for a reason man it's what keeps us alive that sort of instinct to to either figure out the situation or push on through yeah um and i've had a couple in the last in the last year or two uh, a couple of collapses um some low some very very sketchy where you know it took it took a couple of hours to sink in what had just happened um but now this is this is going to sound sort of crazy or to start off with i wouldn't do it i think like anything you wouldn't do it if uh like i I'm not the best skydiver in the world by any stretch, but I have I have faith in you know my ability that I can if shit hits the fan, I I'm, I have the experience now to to sort it out whether that's on a prototype or a really small Petra or whatever. Sure. So I, I wouldn't jump out of the plane if I if I didn't sort of have you know trust trust myself. Sure. Um, but another I've explained this to people and I think they think I'm crazy, but I've actually like in the moment. Not not many people like being scared, myself included. But afterwards, that feeling that you get when you succeed or you sure. push on through is kind of like what makes me love it. So What's addictive. And I yeah, and I like being in the plane. Like I've, I was jumping um, at the end of last year, a couple of prototypes, uh, Petra two prototypes, and and we had no idea how the opening's going to go. We we knew the couple previous were hard, and they had like some frontal collapses going on. But I remember just looking at one of the boys on the plane. I had this big grin on my face, and I was nervous as hell. Like you'd be lying to say you weren't scared. I was mm. scared, but not to the point where it was going to take over. But I was also just—I was so excited. Like I—I I loved that rush that I was getting before I jumped out. Right. Which, and I kind of like—that's kind of one of the reasons why I love the job so much is because yeah, we're jumping something for the first time. Something can go wrong, but you know, like. If it does, I trust that I'm going to do the right thing. And if it doesn't, you know, like we get to kind of push on through with these new designs. You get to be the the first person to to jump some crazy weird design that Julian, our designer, has uh, has manufactured. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing too, though, right? Is you you come through a situation that's scary. You have a fucked up situation that you handle uh, right and have a good outcome. And it's not even just that. It's then having the balls to do it again, knowing it could go wrong again, but also knowing, all right, I handled it that time. And that's an amazing feeling. It really is. Feeling feeling that fear and being able to continue on and do it anyway is a badass sensation. It really is. I, th- I think like a lot of people would have, I'm surely um, in your piloting career as well, you've been in situations maybe where someone, the, the plane stalled or there was a situation where you're like, Fuck, but at the time you're like, got to sort this out, and then sure. afterwards it's like, fuck, that oh. was scary. But you, you know, you had the knowledge, and you, and it's just like, sure, you could relate and say, like, it's a good feeling knowing that, man, I fucking conquered that beast. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it, it very much is. A, okay, I know this is fucked up. I'm gonna freak out later, but I don't have the luxury of freaking out now. I have to fly the plane, deal with the situation, get it safely on the ground. Then I can shit my pants. And you do shit your pants, and then you look back and go, holy shit. I was – part of me was freaking the fuck out, but the rest of me went, nah, nah, not yet. Deal with this. And there's a huge yeah. – um, you get to pat yourself on the back if you come through something like that. And the more you're able to deal with that, the, the easier it gets knowing, all right, I have the capacity to freak out later, which is a big deal. Yeah. You know, you get yeah, to freak I, out. Yeah, I don't think 
for sure. Oh yeah, you just—it's just about telling yourself not right now because I don't have fucking time for that. <laughs> right. I think like to anyone listening, it's not like it may. It doesn't. It's, I'm not trying to make it sound like. Look at me, I can handle this. It's more like it's more just what you say to yourself. Like right. you don't need to go around telling everyone. You know, no, uh, I can do this. I can do that. But it's more like being you're sitting at home that night. You're having a beer and you're like, I, I handled that. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm proud of myself. It's good to be proud of yourself sometimes. I think. Yeah, well, I think yeah. this is a one way that we can sort of. We get that, uh, you know, from ourselves. Well, and I think most of the people that have to deal with situations like that, the last thing in the world they want to do is go out and tell people, I can handle stuff like that. I don't, the situations that I've had that truly scared the shit out of me, I keep to myself because they're my lessons and I can't impart what I felt to anybody else. And trying to yeah. tell someone the story just either makes me look like an idiot or uh, makes me look like I'm trying to look cool. And that's not what it was all about. You know, I take that lesson and I keep it for myself and go, because it's going to happen again. I'm going to get scared yeah. again. I'm going to have to relearn that lesson. And if I've diluted that lesson by trying to run around telling everybody how fucking cool I am, <laughs> you know, karma's a yeah. bitch. <laughs> oh, man, for sure. It's, I think it's good to have these things. Like you, It's good just for, for yourself. Like you said, like these are, these they sometimes are really personal. So yes. it's kind of nice just to internalize it and keep it there. And then you've got it there for another day sure. as opposed to sort of water it down and ruin the, the moment and that, that sensation by – yeah, telling everyone you're fucking king shit with a big swinging dick. For sure. Now, you had said that a lot of the canopies that you do the test jumps on, um, they kind of led the way, and you're walking into a relatively established canopy with tweaks that you're trying to figure out um, You know how far you can push things. But what happens when your evil designer over there lays a brand new canopy, the, the Psycho 3.0 in front of you, and nobody's ever jumped this shit before? Uh, how are you going to prepare? <laughs> like, how do you gear yourself yeah. up to be the first so I, I guess one just a good thing to, to point out is like we do we obviously focus on high performance stuff but sometimes the first means like i jumped a, a 280 the other day and it was we don't we never made canopies um out of uh, uh, the student canopy is full ZP, man. You, that's what. There's no reason why a student should have a full CB can, uh, ZP canopy, sure. in my opinion, uh, and and in work's opinion as well, in Aerosports opinion. But we do have um, we have some customers and people like generally military stuff, and like you know you know what the military is like. This is how we want it. Anyway, long story short, I was the first person to jump our hybrid student 280 the other day. Now that's not extreme at all. So that kind of puts into context that we're not always. We're not always jumping these sixty-sevens and sure. and whatnot, but when we are, yeah, there's there's definitely like you. I wouldn't say I block it out. I'm just trying to think of a good example. So we're working on the P2, and I think it was actually it was made. We got to the point where we were like, okay, this thing's flying pretty well, and then we'd made a couple other ones, and we we're like, um, okay, I think we had a sixty-nine. Bearing in mind that at this stage, a 69 was like our big prototype right. for a P2. And I'm like, this is fucking... At the time, I didn't think any of, anything of it. But now I'm just like, yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> our big P2 prototype was a 69. Right. Um, and it was working all right. But so we, we decided to make a, few, a couple of others and send them out to some of our athletes to help with um, a bit of, you know, like the beta testing. So we've got it to the point where we're pretty happy with what we've got. However, we made the this wing for Cornelia. It was a 64. I think it was a 64. 
And uh, that's only five square feet. But, I mean, you you know and I know that when we get on canopies that small, it's a big fucking difference. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so I'm jumping the 69, and then we're like, ah, you know, there's something not quite right. You know, like I'm pushing it, but I'm just not quite getting everything I want out of it. So yeah. Julian then goes and does some line trim changes. So the canopy itself, the actual profile of the wing, if it's inflated in, in like, a, you know, on the computer – and the mock-ups and stuff like that, the, the digital wind tunnel, it's amazing. Hmm. But then we can't um, take into account, like, the line trim. So that's when it starts becoming a bit more of a gray area. Anyway, so we're jumping these 69s. We're like, no, it's not it's not working. So we change it, and it was kind of like, okay, that's a little better. And then there was not so much pressure, but it was like, cool, let's. we want to get one to Cornelia to see what feedback we can get from her. I don't know if Cornelia, if I've ever told her this, but – we did a couple of different line sets on it, and it would just like these are the ones where I would, you know, I'd think about my emergency procedures. I would go through the system in my head, very focused, bit of visualizing. I I wouldn't say I'm the most serious person in the plane, so I still like to have a smile and have a laugh. I tried yeah. not to let go of that. I guess I still wanted to, you know, remind myself that it's fun without sure. switching off. Anyway, that was one of the ones where I had a big shit-eating grin on my face, smiling, but the grin was purely because I was like, this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> Part of me loves it. Part of me is wondering what the fuck I'm doing. Anyway, I jump out, and this canopy just went frontal, full frontal like that. So with a with a front um, center cell, front sort of three or four cells, just fold under, and the canopy starts bucking. It's like taking you for a rodeo ride. And I'm on the 64. I'm the heaviest test jumper. And uh, I was just like, what the fuck is going on here, man? And I don't know what it is, but apparently when uh, when I'm freaking out or, like, shit's going wrong, I, I laugh and smile as I'm sorting things out. So I'm just like, someone's like, are you right? I'm like, man, that wasn't planned. I just was like, I've got to do something, and I can't help but sort of have a smile right now. And then, um, yeah, it managed, it managed to sort itself out, and then we kind of fixed up those issues and, and we sent it away. But, I mean, we ended up, bringing that back just for no other reason other than it wasn't performing um, better than Petra. So what's the point in, you know, right. creating something that's not as good or not better than Petra. Right. But I just remember that one just being like, <laughs> well, how, you, how you say, how do you prepare for it? Like, I'm just, well, I, I guess, guess I, I, I get this great image of you in, in a, a video on your face of shit going wrong and you laughing and giggling and people would think you are fucking psychotic. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I, and I had, um, and it's, 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 everyone deals with things differently. Sure. And I'm not, I'm in that moment, I'm not like, this is fucking awesome. In <laughs> right. that moment, I'm just kind of like, fucking typical, it's happening right now. I've right. got to sort it out. Uh, and then when I get on the ground, you know, I have this massive rush of, rush of adrenaline. And uh, I guess it's weird because doing the test jumping, it's kind of like you do your first skydive, you get that massive rush, but that goes away over time. Um, so the test jumping is kind of giving me that rush mm. again. And I wouldn't say that's why I do it, but in many ways I do enjoy that that's a perk to the job, sure. that I do get this really great feeling when I'm on the ground. And even better so when when things are going wrong, yeah, I land and I'm, you know, I, have the, I, I kind of have this weird feeling of enjoying it. But when we get past that and we get the point to where the canopy's like it's humming and everything's going right, then it makes that feeling kind of almost 
I don't know, 10 times better because it was worth it. Now we've sure. got this amazing product or we're, we're at another step in this prototype and and not just myself, the other test jumpers as well. We, we've helped get it to that. And it, and it, yeah, it took being shit scared and fucking having some, some moments of what the fuck is going on. Sure. Um, but it all kind of culminates to being a part of this process. And it's, uh, well, that's, that's one, cool, man. I definitely yeah, grateful for it. That's one of the really cool things about being able to talk to, to you. And when I talk to Attila about the test jumping as well is it solidifies in all the, the pilots minds that are flying these canopies that once that canopy is out to market. Once it's on your website and you can order this canopy and put your colors in and, and it's shipped to you, this is a canopy that, although this particular canopy is brand new to you, it's had the shit beat out of it through all the testing that you guys do in every possible way, making it as safe and reliable as it can be for them. So it's for them to fuck it up, not because the canopy's going to fuck up. And that's an amazing thing, though, is to know this thing's been put through the ringer and hasn't been sent to you until the best of the best or the ballsiest or, you know, all these people have done these jumps and tested it to the nth degree. And that's an amazing thing. So, you know, you should take great pride in that because a lot of people are out there jumping these canopies that get to have a level of confidence in that gear because of what you did for it, which is awesome. I think, yeah, and not not just me. I think as a as a company, as a team, man, it's, a, it's an awesome – it's an awesome uh, sort of thing to be a part of when you think like our, our company's whole whole uh, sort of mentality is like we want to design a new canopy every year kind of sure. thing. We or we you know to to update a canopy or to push it, and it's just such a cool process. And I'm I guess uh, in terms of seeing the canopy like the product being you know coming to fruition from um, the time we have a prototype, but I'm only one sort of cog in the system, sure. you know, like. We we have the we have Julian obviously the the designer and then we have everyone else's input. We have the ladies who who sew and put these together, and then we have a couple of the guys in QC who throw in their ideas as well. And it's just it is this really cool process to be a part of. Sure, I, I just happen to be the one who gets to jump it. But right. it's uh, oh man, it's 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 awesome. I think what um like it, to sum it up, I guess my job. With for people who are like they get this product, our our job, my job, and the other test jumpers, our job when there's a new prototype, our job is to try and collapse it. Basically, that is what we're trying to do. So once we get to that stage, then we can start tweaking. You know, it does this good, it does that good. Let's change that kind of thing. But sure. initially, it's like it's just it's a crazy thing when you think of it. Like even when I think about it, I'm like, yeah, sweet, I'm gonna go and. Try and get this canopy to collapse as I pull the shit out of the fronts. Right now, what uh, what has uh, being a test jumper done for your confidence and skills when it comes to competition and normal jumps? Ooh, um, I, th- I think uh, what it's done really good actually is um, help avoid complacency mm. when you're jumping something new all the time. I just I don't. I kind of can't be complacent, especially when, and that's not just saying it's always small, high-performance canopies. Sure. That can be, I'm jumping a Petra 67, then next week I'm jumping a student canopy. And every canopy has its has its things that can go wrong. Sure. But when I'm chopping and changing, I kind of, and especially with test jumping, I have to be thinking, you know, be prepared for this jump, no matter what it is. You know, we, we're generally jumping something that's not not proven or it's not got a lot of jumps or Sure. Or whatever, so every jump can be the can be different. 
so I guess one of the big things was just remove, helping reduce complacency. Mm. And I remember before I started test jumping, I'd done a lot of competitions and done a lot of hop and pops, and you're just kind of like, you're just in this bubble almost of like, yeah, nothing goes wrong. Right. So I think it's different. It's just made me aware, you know, and, and respect as well. Respect the canopies, especially we get test jumps sometimes where it's a product and maybe there's been a there's been something going wrong with it or the, the customer's had an issue with the reline or something's happened to the point where they're like, they send it back. And we know that this is a tested product, but we still have to take it for a test jump and treat it as if it's a prototype and something could go wrong. Sure. So I think I think I, I definitely appreciate the probably the respect that it's given for what I do. Hmm. Like, it, it, I guess the, previously it sounded like I'm a crazy man who just likes scaring the shit out of myself, but <laughs> it's made me respect the sport and respect what I do in terms of just jumping, competing, test jumping, fun jumping. Uh, it's made me respect that um, a lot more. Which is awesome. Sure. I mean, it's uh, the the general consensus for people that don't skydive is they think all skydivers are crazy. And yes, what we do, uh, by and large, is a dangerous sport. You know, um, it, there are risks involved. But for the most part, the skydivers that I know are the most safety-oriented human beings on the planet. Uh, you know, I don't know anybody that does a full walk around of their car and checks the brakes and the tire pressure and all these things before they get in the car and drive. But I know every single one of my skydiving friends gives themselves a thorough gear check and is always eyeballing someone else's equipment, is always thinking about the safety aspect of it, uh, which is huge. Yes, what we do is risky, but we do everything that we can to mitigate those risks. Um, but um, skydiving has also, because of that, become so apparently safe that it is easy to get complacent. So it's fucking huge that, you know, especially as a test jumper going out and doing these things, that the biggest thing you're, you're saying is complacency is not a good thing and, and that it's always about trying to stay on top of that part of the game. It's a big deal. Yeah, man. I, and I think everyone should just remind themselves of that, especially when you get, you get stuck in a rut and then everything's good until it isn't, you yeah. know? So. So now um, when I talked to Attila, um, the scary jump that he had had was kind of his end game for uh, being a test jumper. Uh, do you foresee an end game? Is there a different direction you'll take it? Is there? Uh, uh, do you foresee a jump that's going to be one that just went, nope, that was it? Um, I mean, I, I hope not. I hope I get to bow out and be like, cool, I've done my time doing this scary shit. Um, I'm going to stick to a bit of office work and just helping out whenever I – I can, which sounds like a crazy thing to say. Nah. Uh, but no, at this stage, man, I love my job right now. Awesome. And it is, there's days, there are days where, you know, like obviously with um, what's happening in the world right now, a little less jumping. I do spend a lot of time staring at my computer screens, uh, editing videos and making content. Sure. But I'm grateful for that as well. I'm very grateful for that as well. If I relied solely, I know there's a lot of tandem instructors around the world now who are doing it super hard. And, drop zone owners and you know anyone who works on a drop zone just the amount we've lost um that tourism industry mm. so i'm very grateful for my job um and I, I and i love it and i absolutely love it there's days where it's a job for sure but that's like anything sure and and there is a certain you know there is a, a certain part of it when when you do i don't really dwell on it but when i jump a canopy for the first time i'm kind of like this is you know this is pretty fucking cool that a company you know not only wants me to be a test jumper, but trusts my opinion hmm. uh, and, and what I can give back to them. So f for now, I think I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing. I I do really enjoy it. 
and I love the company and I love I love you know working with everyone there. Um, I hope that the Attila moment doesn't come anytime soon. <laughs> I hope it doesn't come at all. Sure. However, uh, like we were talking about before, I do have to be aware that there, there is a potential for that to happen. Sure. And I'm not naive. I, I am aware that that is a possibility. Sure. Um, well, that's the big thing, right? Yeah. So tell me, how do people follow uh, Chris the athlete? How do people follow Chris the test jumper? Have you got? Uh, are you all over social media as an athlete? And and how do they find out more about NZ Aerosports and all the canopies? That so, testing? so my I have um, my own personal Instagram handle, which is just Chris Stewart. That's Instagram. I have. So- Man, you just go find me, Chris Stewart, on Facebook. <laughs> I gave up on my athlete page just because, like I do, I guess, you know, like a lot of people, they have sponsors and stuff. I do the social media for that. And when when we're humming and going, I love it. And right now, we're just in a bit of a lull, so sure. I'm not really on it. Um, the testing adventures uh, are going to be through, obviously, work. And that's just Icarus by NZ Aerosports um, is our handle. And that's where there's been a few, like, uh, little testy video clips that I've gone through and a couple of the other guys have gone through popping up right now. And then obviously for work, um, we post all of our stuff on Facebook as well. And then we have videos being uploaded to YouTube, um, awesome. which you can find on there as well. So yeah, we're, we're all over it. We're the 2020. If you're not on every platform, you're not living. That's <laughs> kind of it, right? <laughs> oh man, it's insane. All the fucking handles. And I'm not on Twitter though. I don't, I've never really been a big Twitter man. I just, Here's my opinion. Listen, I'd rather not. Yeah, no, I can't do that either. I, I have taken full advantage of the the slowed and lockdown for a lot of people in trying to get as many interviews done as I can because I know I've got a captive audience. All you guys are just yep. <laughs> have been stuck on the ground. Although, luckily, I start to see the light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of the drop zones and operations going again. But uh, it's been great for me because I know somebody's going to be on the other end of the line. <laughs> so it's easy to get yeah. all of you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, man, it's been super cool. We did we did a lot of that as well during um, lockdown. We did the um, webinars and stuff like that, which I ended up being the host of for for work. And it basically just consists because we were trying to target Europe and and America. It meant that whenever we were doing it, it was the evening or afternoon there and the morning for me. So I just ended up getting hammered drunk pretty much most mornings for lockdown. Lockdown for me was pretty good, to be honest, in New Zealand. I just stayed at my buddy's place and we just drank beers and pretty much got fucked up and good. A lot of people around the world were jealous uh, of how it was handled there, but I'm glad that you were able to make the most of it for sure. Yeah, no, it was good. I, yeah, I, I was lucky. Not to say that it was good for everyone. There's a lot of people who who have been hit hard over here as well. So indeed, yeah, well, and, and uh, yeah, all around the world. And I'm I'm glad that it it appears that we're starting to turn a bit of a corner, which is is really good. But Chris, man, I'll yeah, tell you what. Yeah, thank sure. you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I know you've got a ton of other stories, so I'm gonna be having you back on here. There's no doubt about that. Awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Eh? I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, love it was, what you're doing. It was fantastic, man. You take care of yourself and we'll talk again. All right, there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can, all finished up. Brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports, by Blue Skies Magazine, by Pussfoot.com, and by me, the fucking pilot. You can check out my stuff at thefuckingpilot.net where you can get copies of both the books that I've written. That would be the fucking pilot book for Blue Skies Magazine and the Accidental Stripper, both of them available in digital and print. We'll see you next time around.